Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. Good afternoon. This session is entitled Beyond Identity Politics, UC San Diego's Innovative Approach to Diversity and Social Justice. And I would like to introduce three speakers. I'm Glenda Davis, the Assistant Chancellor for Diversity. And we will have with us today Dr. Emeline De La Pena. She's a Campus Diversity Officer and the Director of the Women's Center at the University of California, San Diego. Emeline received a Bachelor's of Arts in Ethnic Studies from UC San Diego, a Master's of Arts in Post-Secondary Educational Leadership from San Diego State University, and a Doctor of Education from a joint program between UC San Diego, San Diego State University, and California State University, San Marcos. Her research focuses on campus community centers as spaces of intersection for both personal and organizational dimensions. She works with students, staff, faculty, and the San Diego community on gender and social justice issues and provides education and training regarding these issues locally and nationally. Her professional expertise is in the area of gender and violence and how these issues intersect with broader social justice movements. She is active in the San Diego community and works with several local, national, and international organizations to combat violence against women in all forms. Additionally, she sits on the board of directors of the Women's Museum of California and chairs the San Diego County Women's Hall of Fame induction ceremony. We also have with us Dr. Sean Travers. He is a campus diversity officer and the director of the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Resource Center University of California, San Diego. Sean received a psychology and theater degree from California Lutheran University, a master's of science in education degree from Indiana University, and a doctorate in education in a joint program between UC San Diego, San Diego State University, and California State University, San Marcos. Sean brings experience in diversity, higher education, gender issues, youth and nonprofit management to the table. An active representative of the bisexual community, Sean frequently speaks at and participates in forums supporting the diversity of many social justice movements. His current research involves the leadership practice of social justice educators in higher education. In addition, he lectures on self-reflection in higher education practice and the opportunities and challenges of working in the LGBT community. Prior to UCSD, Sean coordinated women's development programs and advocacy services for victims of sexual violence, as well as judicial services at Texas A&M University. Currently is the co-chair of the board of directors of the LGBT Community Center of San Diego. In addition, he works with the San Diego LGBT Community Leadership Council as well as the National Consortium of LGBT Directors in Higher Education. And last but not least, we have Dr. Edwina Welch. She has served as the director of the UC San Diego Cross-Cultural Center since spring of 1996. In this capacity, she works with students, staff, and faculty on issues of social justice, diversity, and campus climate for UC San Diego and the surrounding San Diego community. 
Prior to coming to UC San Diego, Dr. Welch worked for the University of Oregon as the director of the ASUO Women's Center. She also worked in multicultural recruitment and academic advising for the Office of Multicultural Affairs and the Admissions Office at the University of Oregon. Edwina received her BA in Communication Studies and Business Administration from California State University, Sacramento, and a Master's of Science in Higher Education Administration from the University of Oregon, and her Doctorate in Educational Leadership from the Joint Doctoral Program between UC San Diego, San Diego State University, and California State University, San Marcos. I think we got a threefer. Her specialty work includes areas of social justice and diversity, organizational capacity building, and small group communication. And she is also one of our campus diversity officers. Uh, with that, I would like to welcome our panelists to the stage. Linda made us sound so cool. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to start with um, a, a brief history. Am I on this mic or this one? I'm going to put it so you can see. <laughs> a brief history of, of, of how we came together as the campus community centers. So as Glinda introduced, we are directors of separate centers, the Women's Center, the Cross-Cultural Center, and the LGBT Resource Center. But together, we are known as the Campus Community Centers, which is uh, really a, a unique model across the country. When we visit with our colleagues across the country, when we train at other locations, there are very few places where centers like ours work together and where the leadership of those centers collaborate with each other. Um, even rarer is when all three, or when multiples of, of more than two people working together um, are, are operating. And I think our history um, is uh, so rooted in the work that we've done together that often when we're walking on campus and we happen to be together, we get called names like the trifecta is coming down, <laughs> we're all together. Um, that down the street or it's the centers. And so we're now known also as the centers and, and we understand what that means. Even though we have very distinct places, um, uh, different staff, different budgets, different kind of vibes, in the spaces, and there are students who frequent all three of our centers, and there are students who only go to maybe one or two of our centers. And I think the, the, the greatest part about the work that we do is that they feel welcomed, mm -hmm. you know, regardless of which space that they're in. Um, unique to the work that we do um, at the centers, as Emily was mentioning, is really being very explicit and intentional about what that work means. And so we actually spent, I think, two years really thinking through what does it mean to have separate histories, separate spaces, but also what does our joint work mean together. And so we actually, um, as a team, there is about 10 of us total, came up with uh, the community center's mission statement. And in bold, you'll see that we are grounded in um, the belief that ending one oppression requires ending all oppressions. And what we mean by that, and what we'll share a little bit more as we go through the presentation, is that all of the things that we're talking about, racism, sexism, homophobia, ageism, classism, ability, all of these areas intersect. So there isn't the ability for one identity to be more salient than others. And they work in very particular ways, so we'll talk about that a little bit more. 
And together, we facilitate interactive learning, self-awareness, leadership development, dialogue, and we challenge traditional notions of diversity, where you can sort of bifurcate your identity. I'm a woman, I'm a person of color, I'm LGBT, it's an ability issue. And we believe, actually, that those things are all operating at the same time. And in order to have and build better campus climate, we need to be really explicit and intentional about how we pay attention to that. The work is not easy. And so the second part of our mission talks about what we have to do in order to make the work come alive. So the first sentence that you see that's bolded there is about valuing the differences. Because fundamentally, there are some differences in how we understand our histories, Mm -hmm. our spaces, and how folks come together in community in each of those spaces. So we value that difference, and we name those differences. But with that, at the exact same time, we recognize the commonalities, that there is much more that brings us together than separates us. And that is sometimes really difficult to really honor, that there are true differences and there are true similarities. And the tension space between that is one that we navigate. One of the things that I think uh, sets us apart in terms of the work that we do around diversity is our commitment to talking about social justice. And when we talk about social justice, we have a very kind of specific um, grounding in what that means for us. Mm -hmm. And our uh, definition of social justice is borrowed (laughs) from our colleagues, just like a lot of people borrow from their colleagues, um, uh, from the book Teaching for Diversity and Social Justice. And when they describe social justice, it it includes a vision of society where there is an equal distribution of resources and all members are both physically and psychologically safe and secure. So you'll often hear our students and, you know, the members of our community who frequent our spaces talk about how they feel safe in our spaces, that that we provide a safe space for them. And, you know, sometimes for some people that's literal in terms of the physical safety Mm -hmm. that they feel, you know, and and sometimes it's a psychological safety or an emotional safety that we provide for them. We envision a society in which individuals are both self-determining and interdependent. And that's why it's so important for us when we talk about how our spaces are spaces of intersections and how you can be in all of who you are in each of our spaces. You, you don't have to be just brown at the Cross Cultural <laughs> Center. You don't have to be just female at the Women's Center. And you don't have to be just queer at the LGBT Center. You can be all of those. You can be a queer brown girl <laughs> in all three of those spaces yes. so that you can be self-determining in what your identity is and at the same time interdependent with, with the rest of the community around mm-hmm. you. And then social justice involves social actors who have a sense of their own agency as well as a sense of the social responsibility towards and with others. Uh, And and we really focus on this idea of community and community building. And we were very purposeful Mm -hmm. in describing our centers as the campus community centers because I think at the heart of what we do is really to to build community on on this campus. So Emmeline used our favorite title, Queer Brown Girl. We think that's the book. Look for it. It should be coming out in 2013. I'm putting our, our, ourselves on blast here. Um, how we came to this point um, is really a very, very um, 
good story because as Emmelyn said and as we talked about at the beginning, this is an unusual partnership. It's not something that if you go to other campuses you see very often and very often centers like ours um, have a very difficult time working together because of the organizational strategies, things going on on campus and the histories that those centers um, grow up in. And so we really had to sort of look and see, well, how, did, how do we think about the work that we do and what do we know? So um, as you heard in our introductions, all three of us have a, um, a very interested, grounded history in feminist theory, mm-hmm. um, and we've all worked in women's centers. So I think that was one of the things that really brought us together very early on. Um, it wasn't natural for us to just sort of play together, as we say. Mm-hmm. Um, we just knew our backgrounds, and we're on each other's search committees, and it, this really um, interesting bond happened within our, our organizations and structures. So. Early on, we, when we were doing our research, we realized that if you're trying to talk about campus community centers and intersections, there's really no literature, particularly at an organizational and campus level, to talk about how you would do this work together. And so a lot of it we've done by trial and error and by ear. What we do know is there are five books that are available on centers, and I think we all have them on each of our shelves. <laughs> um, cultural centers in higher education. Um, oh, Six books, we've added one. That one just came out, it's on both our shelves. Sean found it first. (laughs) Um, A book on black cultural centers, which looks at the history of black cultural centers, how they started, um, very much came about um, in the 1960s and 70s in response to some of the uh, civil rights um, things that were happening um, in the country. Um, There's a women's centers handbook by Davey um, that was written as a practitioner's book. So how much staff you would have, what would you need as basic budgets, and then the most research we think because it's the newer, the newest center within the, the context of higher education, it's two books by Ronnie Sanlow, which is our place on campus and LGBT uh, college students. And Ronnie has really been a, an innovator in looking at LGBT students' identity development, lives on campus, and dealing within the infrastructure of institutions. So all of these books are very much um, community specific. There's not very much in there at all about intersections of identities, how people work across identities, how we work with students who have multiplicity of identities or complex identities. So this is um, sort of the books we were able to see about our field and the work that we do. Um, The other things that really frame our work are paradigms for how we think about our work. Uh, Social justice, which Emmeline gave you our definition, very often you will talk to people and these words will all be used sort of interchangeably. But diversity really comes out of a field of sort of business. Um, we're looking at some diversity within a biological sense, but it, it encompasses the whole. So when we're thinking and we hear diversity, you almost have to ask people to define which levels of diversity they're talking about. Multiculturalism comes out of um, the K-12 educational system with plurality and making sure that we were bringing um, different people's histories into the school books um, for K-12. And so that's where the multicultural movement started. And in student affairs, there's, um, there's pages and pages of literature, any of my student affairs colleagues that are in the room, <laughs> on identity development. And meaning how one goes from knowing who they are in environments, most of them are linear in nature, where you start at sort of a pre-exposure to um, a nirvana state. Um, so each community has these ideas of identity development, but they're all very segmented mm-hmm. so that you'd see a black identity development or a gay identity development or a white student identity development. But very often we're not talking about sort of that identity development within a context of community or multiplicity of identities. And this is not to say that, that 
um, one paradigm of community center work is better than the other, or that you're moving through levels mm -hmm. to eventually get to social justice, right? But it's to talk about how there's different framing in the work that we do, and sometimes when I'm speaking this dialect, <laughs> and then our, our students maybe, or, or our community, our campus community is speaking this dialect, I'm, I'm talking about multiculturalism or diversity, and they're talking about social justice. Mm -hmm. We think we're working towards the same goal, and sometimes we're not. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're just off the mark a little bit. So it's really important to talk about what our paradigm is for the work that we do as campus community centers so that our community is clear um, what foundation we're working uh -huh. from. When we first came together, we had to figure out, given the research that's available, given the histories of our communities, what really does inform our work? And so we started to mine the authors and the research that is out there that helps us think about what we do in that there wasn't a lot of stuff that was targeted directly towards us. Mm -hmm. And so much of that work is theoretical, but it really helps us understand how do we move beyond identity politics, which is very often how things are positioned, is that we focus only on one piece of identity, to something different. And these works we're going to touch on more deeply uh, to talk about each of them. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I'm doing the first one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, the first one is around systemic leadership. Uh, it's a book by Alan and Cherry, who are actually in student affairs, um, and they talk about the idea that there is a hierarchical world and a networked world, and that we are living in both of them concurrently, and they're two very different worlds. And you can see some of the things that define a hierarchical world. And when you think about many structures at colleges and universities, you may see them reflected in those descriptors, the bureaucr bureaucracies, the hierarchies, the academic structure. At the same time, we are in a networked world, which looks very different and operates very differently. And so when you're at UC San Diego and you're looking for the person in charge, often you will think, well, that's the chancellor, if that's the level that you're working at, or maybe that's the vice chancellor of student affairs, or maybe that's the director of the cross-cultural center. It's a hierarchical structure. But in a, hierarchy, in a networked world, um, if you think about one of the most prominent <laughs> networks that we have, it's the internet. And so if you try and find the president of the internet, <laughs> or the person in charge of the internet, so you can interact with it, you suddenly realize that, oh, networks work completely differently. Mm -hmm. How would I influence and have power in a networked system? Completely different world. And we currently live in both, and we have to navigate both. And that navigation is not always easy because there's so many structures with the hierarchy, but the reality on the ground is very networked. And so there's this wonderful space right in the middle. Um, and there was a great quote from the book that I wanted to share. There's the tension that's there between organic realities and mechanistic expectations. Why can't we just fix diversity? <laughs> mechanistic, mechanistic expectation. Um, the reality is much more organic and grounded in the human beings that are diverse in our mm -hmm. community. The other um, organizational development paradigm um, that made us very excited is by Wenger. And he's looking at something called communities of practice. So as we're looking at this sort of hierarchical world 
and the networked world, there's a practice that happens within the context of that world. And what Winger would say is that there is meaning being made, a particular explicit practice, the community and the identity of that community. And that this always happens on the individual, community, and organizational level. So in looking at organizational dynamics and how organizations form, grow, and how you make um, inter, um, intersections, like how you fix things within an organizational structure, is to look at what's happening. So Wenger talks about this idea of joint engagement, where in order for a community to grow, you have to be engaged in some sort of process, where you're looking at the response. How are people interpreting what's happening within a community? Um, how are the expectations being set? There's this also idea that there's engagement happening. So you don't have community if people aren't talking to each other and if they aren't engaging with each other. And that engagement happens in particular ways, how we do things together. What are the relationships in that networked world? What is the maintenance of the community? Which all leads to shared repertoire. So what are the stories that the community tells? What are the actions that happen? The styles, the artifacts, the discourse, the languages, um, Emlyn was saying. And I definitely want to really um, reiterate this idea on the individual community and organizational level. So as I come into a community, I come in with a particular history, context, um, understanding of what community I'm going in. And you enter communities very, very explicitly. You can, you have, any of you all have been going into a new environment, you kind of go in, get a lay of the land, what's the language, what's the nuance, you notice the nonverbals that happen in that community. The community itself has a very... Um, dynamic way that it's maintaining that relationship. What sort of activities, what events, what programs, what are people talking about when they're sitting in our lobbies? What are they talking about when they're passing each other, going to classes? And what this does is this creates this organizational practice. Um, and if we're not paying attention to each of these areas explicitly at each of these levels, um, we might um, be missing some opportunities to create a more dynamic, um, engaged community. So this idea of looking at an organizational practice, an individual practice, and a community practice really helped us layer on top of the systemic leadership what's happening mechanistically and what's happening networked um, and what sort of practices are being managed through that to help us think about and think through our particular center's work our work across centers, and then our work within the context of being organizations within a UCSD context. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to take us back to the organizational level, uh, no, to the individual level, mm -hmm. and um, talk a little bit about uh, Lynn Weber and her work around intersections, in the intersections of race, class, gender, and sexuality. And we realize also that there are um, there's intersections of ability, mm -hmm. intersections of uh, diversity of language, um, intersections of you know different belief systems. Uh, but uh, you know the the work that we do at our particular centers really focus on the intersections of race, class, gender, and sexuality. Mm -hmm. And on an individual level, we understand that individuals are parts of social systems. And, and we hear this a lot, right? Because we're a very individualistic society, right? Why can't I just be Emmeline? Why, why do you have to be Emmeline Brown Girl, right? Just be yourself, right? And, or I don't see the color of your skin, I just see Emmeline. And unfortunately, Emmeline has to check off boxes. Whenever I fill out a form, I have to check boxes. What is my race? What is my gender? Sometimes it asks you for your income. Sometimes it asks you for your age. And now that we're in this electronic age where you fill out forms online, it won't let you <laughs> click to the next screen if you don't pick a box. So you can't leave it blank. 
And so I'm part of varying social systems. I have an identifiable you know, race, um, sexual orientation, class, and gender. And all of those operate all at the same time. <laughs> so it's very difficult for me to separate out those pieces of me, which is why we don't ask our community or members of our community to do that either. Mm -hmm. We don't ask you to, to not be queer at the Cross-Cultural mm -hmm. Center or you know, uh, not be a, a person of color at the Women's Center because we realize that it's all operating all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And related to this idea of intersections is this, is this theoretical framework around third space. And earlier, Sean talked about that, that neat little space in the middle that he called the tension space. And that tension space is third space. It's, it's a whole new place that's created from the intersections of, of different dimensions. Right? And it's not just where it's a crossroad, it's the new space that's mm -hmm. created from all those things coming mm -hmm. together. Right? And we noticed early on when, when we started to do our research that a lot of our work is grounded in the work of really fabulous queer brown girls. Mm -hmm. And two of those are uh, Gloria Anzaldúa and Audre Lorde. Mm -hmm. And Anzaldúa talks about the creation of her mestiza consciousness. And this idea that she was alienated from her mother culture and alien in the dominant culture. Um, and as a woman of color, she didn't feel safe within both the inner life of herself and kind of in the community that she was in. And so she found herself caught between the interstices, the, the hybrid space, that third mm -hmm. space. And, and so she created for herself what she called her third world, right? And she didn't call it third space at the time, but, but really that's what she was talking mm -hmm. about. And, and Audre Lorde talks about how she created out of her experience as a feminist and a woman of color um, this kind of new culture for herself, right? And in, within third space and within you know, the, the writings of a lot of these women, they talk about how they support each other and survive outside of systems and how they've created these organic methods of community, which is so much of what our community centers are about. We occupy this very um, organic, tension-filled space. <laughs> and so, for example, when, you, when something happens on campus that causes turmoil, our spaces become these really interesting places where we are both representing the institution, we are, as a, a campus staff, we are administrators on this campus, but we're also advocating for students. Um, stuff is happening outside of the centers and students are organizing to combat that inside of our centers. So we become this very kind of fluid new space where it's almost undefinable if we are you know, part of the home space or part of the public space. People are falling asleep there and taking naps because they're organizing in between classes. Um, so it's very messy uh, and sometimes it scares people to think about you know, what's going on over there. And really it's because we're in that tension space. Um, and I, I think that that, to being okay and being comfortable being in that tension space where it's not so explicit to define and you don't really necessarily know the systems of power that are happening because it's so networked um, and it's so fluid and so dynamic makes um, the work that we do very, very, very fantastic and fabulous. Um, 
one of the things that we've been starting to do, like I said, we were starting to do with our research and the work that we've been doing and talking together is really begin to play out the explicit ways in which our joint work moves within the context of an institutional dynamic. Um, so I'm just going to share with you a few of the things that we're working on now. We are working in partnership with Student Affairs where we do a five-day social justice intensive institute. And I see members from uh, the three years that we've had that institute in the audience. It's for Student Affairs staff uh, where we do both things. We talk about the theory, we talk about the structure, but we also talk about um, personal dynamics within a context of diversity and social justice. So how do I define that for myself? How do I look at my own histories? And then how do I take that definition and that history towards institutional change? We also, just this year, very excitedly, working with critical gender studies, have a, a year-long practicum for our student intern staff. Each of us have paid student interns that do trainings, media, um, and, and work in administering our centers. And so we're bringing them all together across all three centers uh, to be in a week um, and to be in a class for the whole quarter to talk about how do you take the theoretical notions to a practical application to a career. A lot of our students want to work in um, nonprofits or want to go into law, and they really want to know how to take this um, melded identity of themselves and make change within communities at large. So it's very exciting for us. We consult a lot. Um, <laughs> we have spoken at national conferences from um, the registrar administrators, admissions, uh, other cultural centers um, across the nation. We do a lot of campus-wide training. So we've talked with the admissions staff. We've talked with academic advisors. Every year we do residence assistance training, um, a whole gamut from staff, faculty, work with equity advisors. So we're kind of busy, um, but we like that. It's, it's, it's okay to be busy. I and mean, we hope um, in our discussion today that you might have some future ideas for us or other areas that you think um, you'll see. So also, we're, um, we told you the title of the book, Queer Brown Girl, 2013. I'm putting us on notice. It should be coming up. Um, um, and writing and doing more um, academic work within this area because it's such a new and emerging uh, construct to talk about campus community centers working across the intersections on an organizational level. So that's sort of where we are with some of our future ideas. So we've talked a lot about um, the theoretical frameworks around our work and, mm -hmm. and the research that we've been doing around that. Um, but we're practitioners, so we also want to talk about what are the practical implications <laughs> of all this you know, head work that we're doing. And, and one of those is this idea of addressing the inadequacy of current multicultural education models. Right? And I see some people smiling in the back. <laughs> you know, a lot of current multicultural education models, and not all of them, because we're all evolving and, and we're all trying mm -hmm. to improve our practice. Um, focuses on one identity at a time, for example, which Sean talked about earlier. But it also talks about identity and diversity as if it's separated from issues of power, privilege, and oppression. And talking about diversity on one dimension as if all forms of diversity are, are equally valued. And I think that's where a lot of multicultural education really um, misses the mark. Uh, because our students are experiencing varying forms of the um, consequences of their particular forms of diversity. Mm -hmm. And when we don't talk about the consequences of particular forms of diversity and the power and privilege and oppression that come along with it, I think we, we can alienate communities and then all the work that we've done to bring communities together 
and to educate around different identities and, and different cultures and, and all of the appreciation that we have for that is lost because people are feeling unappreciated when we don't talk about those things. We really are hoping in the way that we conceive of our work on the ground is to fill these needs around social, educational, and cultural needs with complex and intersecting identities, honoring that some identities have privilege, some identities do not have privilege, and that a white, straight male has just as a complex and intersex, intersecting identity mm -hmm. as a queer brown girl. And to convince the communities that we work with that that dialogue and that conversation mm -hmm. is as valid and is as needed on a practical basis for us to build community as all of the work that we do. And so that's really some important work that we're trying to make happen on the ground. Mm -hmm. And the way we think about this um, is this idea of focused and inclusive. And, and I want to say that again, focused and inclusive. Because um, as Emily mentioned, very often we're looking for the fix for diversity. And diversity actually gets problematized. Mm -hmm. We're going to fix diversity. We have a diversity problem. And so sometimes we aren't quite sure if we're talking diversity writ large mm -hmm. or diversity of an individual community where there's a power dynamic in play. So we have some difficulty talking about race and sexism and homophobia and classism as if we're talking about all of them at the same time equally, where we might need to be talking about a focused moment. So I'll give you an example. Um, one of our, um, my best examples is we were sitting in a meeting once and we were really looking at, a speaker was here talking about faculty um, equity issues around race. And the speaker, Dr. Daryl Smith, came in, and there was some struggle in the discussion. Well, if we're talking about race, um, but we're not talking about gender, and we're not talking about sexuality, what's happening in the context of that conversation? And Dr. Smith always says, you can focus on a thing that you're trying to get some traction around that has to deal with power, history, and privilege. That doesn't mean you're not thinking about gender and sexuality in the context of race. So we see that there's some difficulty where we aren't quite sure how to navigate. Am I talking about one thing? Am I talking about every, all things? And that we need to be really explicit about what the moment calls for and what we're actually trying to think about fix. So as Emily was talking about with some of the, the identity development within a student construct, we would need to sometimes focus on race. But that doesn't mean we're, we're leaving out the other area. So this idea of focused and inclusive, I think, is really, really critical. And the biggest piece around that is we have found, when we talk about campus community centers, we'll always get the question, well, can't we all just be diverse? <laughs> and what we realize, and Howard Zinn, people know that I love to quote Howard Zinn, is you can't be neutral on a moving train. Mm -hmm. We live in a structure. We live in a structure that has a particular historical context. The reason we're all in these chairs in this moment is through a particular historical and paradigmic lens. So we have to make sure that we can honor that while also building those inclusive communities. And our structural contexts are different for different students. So LGBT students have a very different lived experience on campus. LGBT students of color have a different lived experience. Students of color have a different lived experience. Women students have a different lived experience. Women students of color have a different lived experience. That doesn't mean that they're all one experience, but that we have to really be explicit about what we're talking about when we're trying to do community change and campus climate. Mm -hmm. And that we need to come together 
in the context of how we're going to build community. So inclusive and focused is really a paradigm and a practice as we're looking at building campus climate, addressing needs, addressing changing identities. How do we make sure that we're being really explicit, inclusive and focused when we're talking about mm -hmm. issues of campus climate? And so I think the, the biggest testimony to this idea of focused and inclusive is us. <laughs> we are the Cross-Cultural Center. We are the Women's Center. We are the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Resource Center. And we are the Campus Community Centers. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we think we get to go sit down now. Okay, you and the itch. And then I'll go around. I cannot express what a pleasure it is to be at this. I just... I've been on campus about 13 years now before the Lesbian Gay Resource Center, when it was still an office, and before that it was just a gleam in people's eye. But the work you do is quite amazing. I have two questions for you. One is, how much of the success that the three of you mm -hmm. have is going to be replicable, and how much mm -hmm. of it do you attribute to your uniqueness as individuals. Mm. So is this a model that can be replicated in other places? And the other, I'm just, I'm curious about identity formation these mm -hmm. days in young people, because when I came out, when the dinosaurs were still roaming the earth, <laughs> um, the communities were really separate, mm -hmm. and I think um, lesbian separatism was a very big deal. And do do students still, do they identify with one piece of their identity very strongly, even to the point of mm -hmm. some kind of a separatism to start off with? Or Ooh. are they like the children of uh, a friend of mine who proudly proclaims that she has two mothers? Mm -hmm. are they, do they come to you with their, with their identities more integrated mm. um, to start off with, or do they go through this process where they have to kind of figure one out and then figure the next one out and so on. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I can try the first one. Sure. Um, <laughs> what are the, one of the reasons that um, we went back to graduate school and it's Sean and Emily's fault, so I want to get that on record and blame you, <laughs> um, was because of that question around replication and it not being based um, on charismatic leadership and it not being based on if one of us left, then what happens to this idea of campus community centers and our, and our uh, work together. Mm -hmm. And what we found um, in talking to our colleagues is we do believe it's replicable. Um, what it takes is time and trust and dialogue. So we have had some very, very hard conversations around the fact that we are staffed differently, that we are different sizes that our budgets are very different. Um, and that ability to have those conversations has um, been really key, and it's not easy. So when we go and speak with our colleagues at other institutions, they want to know, how do we do it? How do we do it? Um, and in sort of structural dynamics, each of those campuses has a very particular history. Um, and there were a lot of closed-door conversations and a lot of sometimes you know, interesting dialogues. But we always knew that we were stronger together. So having that trust and that dialogue, if something happened where a question came up, we would be in a room saying, hey, the Cross-Cultural Center is going to ask for more staff now. And I would say that to my colleagues, and, and they would be saying, well, what does that mean for us? And we'd really have those hard conversations. So 
I think if the organic nature of the institution or that campus has the ability for people to have that time and that expectation, it can be replicable. replicable, replicable. I can't even speak mm -hmm. today. Um, but it started with us just doing events together or planning together or having our staffs meet together. So it, it is a, a iterative. It did mm -hmm. take some time. We get that question a lot too. How, mm -hmm. how do you move beyond just collaborative programming? Uh, when, and whenever we speak about this uh, with our colleagues, mm -hmm. we get that question. And it's with time, because mm -hmm. that's where we started, too. And I think people think that, you know, we all came together one day and poof. <laughs> uh, we were this amazing trifecta. Uh, and, it, and it took a lot of time. And, and I think the one thing that we want to iterate or reiterate is that it's not personality-based. It's not because, you know, we, we all think so similarly, because we don't. We're very, very different people, very different administrators, different working styles. Sometimes we don't even like each other. Um, but we continue to do the work together because it's important. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that, that that piece of time and trust mm -hmm. is so important and being open with... Um, the struggles that we have with each other mm -hmm. on a professional, you know, kind of organizational level, as well as struggles that we have within our own centers. Mm -hmm. And I think for so many of our colleagues across the country, it's unfortunate. There's a lot of mistrust mm -hmm. because resources are scarce mm -hmm. and people are afraid that if they start to share those resources, it will be taken away yes. from them. Um, or it will be lessened because, oh, you can just share. Yeah. And what we have found um, with our model here at, at UC San Diego is that when we trusted the process, and when we trusted that when we started sharing resources, they wouldn't start disappearing, we actually got more um, than what we were expecting um, because it just kind of grew uh, from a very organic place. To illustrate some of the time that it takes, for two years, we simply traded money. I'll give you $50 if you give me $50. And I'm sure that that kept some of our folks employed in terms of disbursements, but it was just trading money back and forth. Um, and we really felt like we were really strongly collaborative because um, I would give you 50 bucks for something and y'all would give me 50 bucks. And at some point we had this really hard conversation where we said, well, we can stop doing that because we trusted each other enough to know how much money we each had. And if we wanted to co-sponsor something, it simply was a matter of saying, we're going to co-sponsor it. Um, if we need more funds, we can give and take within our own budgets. But it really was about having a deeper way of understanding the work. Um, and we've had conversations about, we don't imagine that we will have these jobs forever, um, mm -hmm. that we hope that we have developed a model with enough structures that if Emmeline leaves tomorrow, that whoever is doing the work that Emmeline currently does, that this won't disappear. And that's why we believe that it can replicate in other places, is we can give you things, um, structures that if you on another campus are willing to put into play, you won't be able to do it tomorrow, because we didn't do it in a day, but it can happen. Uh, my name is Daniel Lau. I'm a UCC alumni and a former intern at the Cross-Cultural Center. So I, I'll give you a big hug afterwards. Um, but I also, as a former intern, and I know each of the centers has um, an internship program, what are the practical implications of the trifecta um, on the internships? Does that mean more interaction, interactivity between the centers, or... Does it mean campus community center interns? Or what are, what are initiatives for increased student engagement and leadership? 
And I didn't know he was in town today. This is so exciting. I want to run off the stage and give you a big hug. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. We, this year more than ever, our interns are engaged deeply with each other. We were able to secure, through a partnership with Critical Gender Studies, and Emmeline alluded to this, um, our interns now get academic credit mm -hmm. for the work that they do. Um, in the fall, it's part of the academic internship program um, that Laura Blackson coordinates. Mm -hmm. And then for both the winter and the spring, it is a weekly practicum. Well, all the interns from all three centers come together every Friday mm -hmm. from 10 to 11.20 and engage in both a theoretical kind of conversation around intersectional work as well as practical. Okay, what does this mean for us working together? And this is our first year of it. So if you can imagine your own internship and having such a depth of connection with the other two centers interns that you actually knew all of their names um, and knew what they did because we've, we've rarely gotten to that level mm -hmm. as much as we've worked together um, the amount of structural change that it takes to get our internships together knowing that we work at three separate spaces with three very different leadership styles yes. um, three very different budgets um, and the impetus for that working together actually came from an alumni mm -hmm. who gave a gift to support the intersectional work of our interns coming together. So for those of you that would like to give us a gift, that would be we great. Um, <laughs> because what we've been able to give back to that yes. donor is some really good data about here's what's happening. Here are the things that are happening that your gift did in terms of intersection and intersectional work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if I can piggyback, what's really been exciting along with what Sean was saying is um, we've had two class periods where we brought back alumni mm -hmm. and community um, members who are working in nonprofits in San Diego. Because one of the, our interns were thinking and asking is like, how do I extend this in my professional career and my academic career to do this work going forward? And so we've had uh, Christopher Yana for... Um, Christian Villano from Reality Changers, and we had a woman come back who's um, a lawyer and was working with Planned Parenthood and Evoke Dance Theater, and all of these amazing people that are doing this kind of work out in the community that parallels work that's happening in the campus community centers. And the interactions and the internships and the volunteers that happen because our interns are meeting these community leaders who are actually doing this work either, um, what did our last speaker said? It's economic labor and sometimes it's activist labor. And so the students are actually getting to talk with people who are doing a lot of the work that we're talking about in the community building. Um, out um, in the field and so it, it has been fantastic and people are volunteering at these locations and are thinking about taking summer jobs at these locations and so the ability for us all to come together is just it's really exciting and it's only been this year so yeah. and I, I yeah. do want to connect it back to um, Augustine's question <coughs> Augustine left but somebody tell him <laughs> uh, that I think this is the biggest change that mm -hmm. has happened in our campus community centers since the events of last year mm -hmm. and this um, social justice practicum is a direct result of the organizing mm -hmm. that happened after that because a faculty member came to mm -hmm. us and said, I want to make this happen. Yeah. So for years, we've been trying <laughs> to um, get our interns together on a more regular basis. And sometimes it happened and sometimes mm -hmm. it not. Sometimes we were lucky to have them twice in a year, yes. all in a room together. But to have them in a room together once a week, mm -hmm. that is fantastic and and it's a direct result of the organizing that happened last year when a faculty member came to us and said we want to tie your internships to an academic experience and we we really want to solidify um, and give teeth to this idea of intersections mm -hmm. and what that means um, on a practical level and on the ground and for careers outside of UCSD. This is 
I guess an administrative and a political question. Mm-hmm. The state budget is mm-hmm. tight. School budgets are going to be tight. You have obviously made very good progress. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that <clears throat> it will be more difficult in the future. Mm-hmm. If, if, the, if your individual budgets are cut, mm-hmm. would it make sense, or have you considered... <clears throat> really consolidating your three groups together into a single group to try to just broaden and bring, bring the things together. The, the, what you're talking about, what you're talking about, what you're talking about, what you're talking about, <laughs> are really the same thing, but different. But perhaps in one organization you could save some money or preserve some capability which might otherwise be lost mm-hmm. and perhaps make even faster progress. Have you considered it? Mm-hmm. We get asked that a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I want to go back to focused and inclusive, mm-hmm. right? Because I, I think that there is a lot of work that we do that's very similar. And we've certainly been able to leverage our resources Mm -hmm. by working together. But our communities have particular histories, not only um, on our campus, but locally and nationally. Mm -hmm. And there are some people who uh, feel much safer Mm -hmm. walking into the Women's Center um, first. And then it's our job to Mm -hmm. connect them to other communities. But we've had students, for example, who LGBT students who... uh, felt much safer for one reason or another to come into the Women's Center and and express Mm -hmm. and come out within the Women's Center, and then we've been able to connect them to the LGBT Center, for example. Mm -hmm. Some students who um, will never walk into the Women's Center, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, but are perfectly comfortable in the Cross-Cultural Center. And and so we want to meet our students where they are, Mm -hmm. right? And everybody comes into the campus um, with varying levels of identity development, varying mm-hmm. levels of comfort mm-hmm. with each of our communities. And the last thing that we would want to do is to alienate them by giving them a space where they didn't feel um, safe. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that idea of safety is very tricky because we also want to challenge mm-hmm. people. So we don't want them to feel too safe and to kind of um, never be challenged mm-hmm. around no, you know, you really do need to interact with the LGBT community at some point. Right? <laughs> but again, we want to meet students where they are, and sometimes what that requires mm-hmm. is that we accept them into one particular space and then help them to connect to all of the other communities. Yeah, and the budget implications is always a very um, interesting um, idea of, of sort of what gets consolidated and wasn't, mm-hmm. and what does not. Um, I, I, I will go back to the Howard Zinn quote that we can't be neutral on a moving train, um, and then back to Emmeline's point about how people enter particular spaces. The good news is, is um, our centers um, are able to run on very, very modest budgets, and so this idea of consolidation has some power and structural dynamics that are related to it um, that will make us get back to a diversity paradigm um, as opposed to a social justice paradigm possibly because that navigation of the history, how do I honor like African-American history at the same time I'm working with LGBT, at the same time I'm looking at women's issues and that students coming in needing the ability to do that um, 
when we're talking about a sort of more diversity is one thing, I think that's where we, we, we enter a little danger because that's what Imlin was talking about was sort of the failure of multicultural education in that the sense is when we say diversity, we think it's all equal and that there isn't a specific historic context in a specific moment. One of our professors here, uh, Dr. Yin Lee Espiritu, talks about this idea of differential inclusion. So when we try to make everything one thing, um, we will alienate people. And it's not just students, it's staff and faculty. Mm -hmm. The ability for us to have places for people to enter um, and then including community members and then be connected is is really our our greatest um, gift. Um, and it's much more difficult to do that if you're using a diversity lens writ large so that you aren't quite sure and it's all kind of melted together and it all can, in some cases, begin to look a little kumbaya. Because we're really <laughs> wanting to look at what are the academic and practical implications of all of our diversity um, and the way that you often have to do that, it sounds counterintuitive, is to look focused but be inclusive. So it's counterintuitive to say, well, why isn't it all just one thing? Why can't you just be yourself in a space? Well, we know structural dynamics haven't allowed us historically to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, so it, it becomes very interesting when you're looking at budgets and, and implications on structure to want to say, oh, it would just be easy to just do diversity. Whereas the complexity of what that means for me as an individual, what that means for a community at UCSD and what that means for society are very, very different depending on how people enter and when they enter and what their relationship is to the institution. Mm -hmm. Um, So so it's always a question that I think a lot about um, and and how it plays itself out is generally around power, privilege, budgets, and let's just make diversity all one thing where we don't look at any of the the more messy parts. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are okay looking at the tension and the messy parts. I'm going to try and answer your question from a a different perspective and a practical perspective. State, shrinking budget, shrinking resources, very much a reality. We've created this structure we call the Campus Community Centers. Gosh, wouldn't it be easy to just have a director of the Campus Community Centers? You can cut two FTEs. And let's think the historical structures and events related to the Compton Cookout from last year. Evelyn, who do you think is going to get cut? Me or you? Or both? So we have a director of the campus community centers, because it's going to be you. I mean, I can really easily see how that makes sense. I, I, ooh, we don't have as much money. We've got to figure out something. And this is the most prevalent issue, and it, it's racism, and the cross-cultural center deals with that. And so that's how it's going to play out. When I talk to my counterparts across the nation, and really push them on why they're not willing to do the work, why they create their own kingdom, why they will be the LGBT director and they will not work with their counterparts. It's through deep fear of collapse um, that they don't want to lose their job. And they know if they collaborate too much, if it looks like they play too well together, if they actually name the intersections, that they're able to unearth the structures of how it really is the same thing on some very basic levels, that they will lose the ability to name the differences Mm -hmm. and to honor the differences. And somewhere, somebody up above them will say, it's all the same thing. And then they're out of work. And that is such a scary place to be in um, that it's too difficult to engage in this. It's too difficult to sit up here and 
and name these structures as so similar Mm -hmm. and so easy to navigate around them. So that's my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Well, and and I want to get real for for just a second. (laughs) that we've had very difficult conversations within community mm-hmm. that would not feel the same and be as honest yes. across community. <laughs> so within the women's center community, we've had some very difficult conversations about how is the women's center a racist and homophobic space and how do we perpetuate mm-hmm. that? How is the cross-cultural mm-hmm. center a sexist and homophobic space? How is the LGBT center uh, a racist and sexist space? Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard to have very deep and honest conversations about that if we're collapsed together mm-hmm. and not really being real with our communities. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, that brings us to the end of our time with you. It looks like we could go on for um, a long time, but in the interest of time and our commitment to you, um, if there are no more questions, then we'd like to bring this session to a close. And if we could just add, we all have um, uh, electronic newsletters. If we want to invite you to please join them, come to our events. We're community spaces, so faculty, staff, students, and community members, please um, come and chat with us and talk with us more. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.